One of my secrets to adulthood is that great luggage makes a huge difference to your travel experience, which is why I am obsessed with Briggs and Riley. It's extremely durable, has amazing features that make packing and getting around easier, and they have the best lifetime guarantee in the industry. So if your bag is ever broken or damaged, they will repair it free of charge, no proof of purchase needed, no questions asked, even if an airline damages your bag. Yes, and I love that they have supremely smooth, shock-absorbing wheels for easy gliding through your travels. Hot off the press, the Simpatico collection of hard-sided luggage is new and improved and just launched on Briggs-Riley.com. It has the new one-touch feature, which allows you to expand your luggage, pack it, then compress it to its original size so a carry-on can still fit in the overhead compartment, and that's just one of the new features. Available in black, navy blue, and olive green. The following podcast contains explicit language. Okay, ladies, here are the resumes. How many did we get? Like 60. 60? Ooh, wow. Just how about giving us the top five? Yeah, five is good. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles, and with me is my writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain, also a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, being friends and business partners, and how to fight and win the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Happier in Hollywood is all about how to survive and thrive no matter where you are or what you do. In this episode, we'll talk about letting go of bananas, get a really big update from our assistant, Brooke, in the outer office, and answer a listener question about how we manage our partnership when we're making big decisions. Yes, um, but before we dive in, Liz, in our first episode, we talked about our work mantras. Yes, relentlessly entertaining. That's us, yes. Or relentless entertainment. It goes back and forth. (laughs) But we have been getting some great ones from our listeners that we wanted to share. Yeah, this came from Rebecca, who is the lone woman in her department, which we can relate to, of Absolutely. course. Absolutely. Hers is, don't let the muggles get you down, which we like because it's a Harry Potter reference. Love. Anything that comes from Harry Potter, I'm going to be a fan of. And then Liz in Miami had two really great ones. The first one, which I just need to integrate into my life immediately, listen to understand, not to respond. God, we all should do that. Such Good advice. Such a good mantra. And then her second work mantra is, there is nothing more exhausting than the task you never started. Which I assume is like that thing that you keep meaning to do and it's nagging at you and nagging at you and you think about it in the middle of the night and you never do it and it just stays taking up a lot of brain space. Yes. I have a lot of your energy away from you. Yeah. And that's a good one for work and life. That's a crossover mantra for sure. And then Wendy... Has a Bob Dylan quote. My senior quote was a Bob Dylan quote. So I'm like, I extra like this one. Don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. I happen <laughs> to know your senior quote off the top of my head. But which is anyway, crazy. Continue. Um, so Wendy's is chaos is a friend of mine, which is pretty cool. And interestingly, Wendy identifies herself as a rebel, which you 
I mean, should be able to guess from the fact that that's her work mantra. Chaos is a friend of mine. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, and we say rebel, that refers to my sister Gretchen Rubin's uh, personality framework. She has four tendency, rebel, obliger, upholder, and questioner. And if you want to hear about that, listen to Happier, my podcast with Gretchen, (laughs) because we talk about it a lot. Um, And then we have another mantra from Melissa. She says, I can do anything, but I can't do everything. She said, it's a great reminder going into a busy or challenging day that I can tackle anything that comes my way, but I can't do it all at once. So true. Yeah. Yeah. And then Jenna had one that I thought was perfect for you because we've talked about how you have free-floating anxiety at times. Jenna's was, the antidote to anxiety is action. Mm. Very true. Whatever action you want to take, whatever the anxiety (laughs) is. And then finally, we have one from Emily, who's the stay-at-home mom of a Mm one-year-old. And her work mantra is just do the damn thing, (laughs) which is so perfect. Um, And the example she gave was that when her baby is taking a nap, she needs to, like, just do the damn thing about cleaning the bathroom instead of, like, watching Netflix. Personally, I would be taking a nap, I think. Yes, I I'm impressed too. that that's where she's going. Yeah, I'm with you. So thank you, everyone, who's been sending in your work mantras. We love them, and we're incorporating many of them into our lives. So keep those coming. Yes. And now moving on to a segment we call From the Treadmill Desks Of, where we talk about what's most pressing in our work psyches this week. This week is all about letting go. Yes. Now, Sarah, I got to go back a little bit to last year um, Mm -hmm. for this. Um, Adam and I, you know, I've talked, I think, in this podcast about the parent mindfulness group at my son's school. And last year, Adam and I were attending regularly, and it was wonderful. And in one of the sessions, um, the woman who leads the class told this story. And the story was about a monkey and a banana and a coconut. And the story is that a way trappers, monkey trappers, used to put out coconuts and they would put a small banana inside an empty coconut. And a monkey would come up and he would put his hand in the coconut and grab onto the banana, wanting the banana. But when he clenched his fist holding the banana, he could no longer get his hand out of the coconut. And what would happen is that he would see the trappers coming with a burlap bag to snatch the monkey, but he wanted that banana so badly he wouldn't let go of it, even though he knew he was about to lose his freedom. So the moral of the story is we all are holding on to bananas that even though they're costing us our freedom, we won't let go. When I was in this class with Adam, then we had to do a dialogue to each other talking about, okay, what is the banana you're holding on to now? Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, it was all about, for me, um, the question of whether or not Adam and I should keep trying to have a second child. We'd been through fertility. We were discussing adoption. You know, I mean, it's like a whole big story, obviously. But I realized that I was holding on to this banana where I was just spinning and spinning about to have Mm -hmm. a child or not have another child and, you know, doing more of this or trying that. And it was just like causing me just total unrest, you know, for basically months. As you know, I'm still sort of holding on to that (laughs) banana, but that's for another day. 
But I thought of this story recently because you and I have had a work banana we've been holding on to. Yes, we really have. Um, This past week, we had a big banana, um, (laughs) and we held on to it very tightly. We had a meeting that we sort of perceived it one way, and the person we were in the meeting with perceived it differently. And that would be okay, except that they communicated what they thought happened in the meeting to someone who we really like and respect and who happens to have power over us. Yes. Yeah. And they did that in a way that made us look bad. And we were totally blindsided by this. Um, And I think it's fair to say, uh, Sarah, we basically lost our damn minds. Yes, we really did. When we found out about it. Yeah. Sometimes we kind of blow our tops um, (laughs) privately. This was one of those times. Well, it wasn't super private. We had first a conversation with um, our agent who we talked about in episode one, having a conversation where we just like yelled at him for an hour. It was a little bit like that. (laughs) And, you know, the thing is, like, everyone goes through this. Like, I don't think there's a job in the world or, you know, including being a stay-at-home mom, because goodness knows, I think this happens at school, involving school stuff all the time, where People have different takeaways, and they communicate that takeaway, and it's very detrimental to one party or the other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And now the problem is usually the best thing to do in this case is to just move on. Um, We could not move on for a few days. We were really stewing. It was distracting us from the work that we really needed to be doing. It was sucking our creativity and our productivity away. Yes. We were literally like losing sleep and it was all we could talk about. Yes. Which is not healthy on any level. No. We we were just holding on to that banana, holding tight. We were making banana bread. (laughs) Um, So what did we do? There have been times, I think, in the past where in a situation like this, we would have just, like, kind of continued to let it stew and been angry basically forever. Yeah. And in this case, though, to give us some credit, we decided that we had to take action. So we developed a plan and we executed the plan, which was empowering. I definitely think that helped. We called the people who needed to be called. We said the things that needed to be said. We passed on the information that needed to be passed on. And that helped. After that, it took a few days, but then, like, poop, we let go of the banana. Yeah, it was weird. It was like this cloud had been hanging over us, and then it just whisked away, and it was just, it evaporated, and it was gone. And to me, the takeaway from this is do something. Don't just sit there and stew. If it's really bothering you, if you have a banana you're holding on to like that, do something, even if it's just talking to someone you love and being heard. Yeah. You know, in our case, we sort of did something a little bit more formal. (laughs) But, you know, a banana might be anything. You know, you're stewing over whether or not to leave your job, or it could be you're stewing over the fact that, you know, somebody said something mean about your favorite TV show. I mean, it could be anything. Well, and in the case of your fertility situation, your second child question, you had to know that it was a banana. Yes. Like, that was the key. Yes. When you figured out, like, this is a banana that I'm holding on to, then you could manage it. So identifying is the first step. Yes. Yeah. I really didn't know how much that was bothering me until I did that exercise. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Identify it and then figure out what to do about it. And just know that, keep in mind, when you hold on to that banana, the trapper is coming for you. Yes. Now, your banana story reminds me of my second favorite Zen parable, which is a parable about two monks who are taking a long walk. 
And over the course of the walk, they walk through a city, and there has been a huge flood. And they come across this woman who is like a really snotty woman with servants who are carrying all of her packages. She's been shopping, and she wants the servants to carry her over a flooded, you know, ravine or something. And they can't do it because they're holding all of her shopping packages. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so it's an older monk and a younger monk. And the older monk just picks her up and carries her over and puts her down on the other side. And they continue on for, you know, a couple hours, and the younger monk is just stewing and stewing because, one, I think monks are not supposed to um, carry women around, and Mm -hmm. two, this woman was particularly sort of odious. Um, So two hours later, he's saying to the older monk, why did you pick her up? Why did you help her? Why did you carry her over that water? And the older monk says, I stopped carrying her two hours ago. Why are you still carrying her? Ooh, that gives me chills. I, I love that story. Oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Well, look, obviously we're not the only ones who keep carrying things or who hold on to bananas. What are you carrying? What do you need to let go of? Let us know at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Next up, we check in with our assistant, Brooke, about her really big update after a word from our sponsor. Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Okay, it is time for a segment we call From the Outer Office, uh, in which we talk to our assistant, Brooke. There have been some big developments in the Outer Office, so we're going to touch base. Yes, Brooke has big news. She's leaving us. Oh, I know. Sad. On this very podcast, a few episodes back, we asked what was holding her back. And Brooke is here with us. Brooke, you decided that being an assistant was taking you away from the very important task of working on your material. Yes. Oh, my God. This is, like, official. Now that I it's know, on the right? right? It's, you like, no take back. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You guys asked what was holding me back, and I said it was having, like, an undeniably great sample. And there are a lot of anxieties around being an assistant, like, a big one being, like, will I ever make it? Um, and I've been with you guys for two years, so my big fear was being in year three and still having the same feeling that I'm having now. I guess in an effort to sort of activate, I was like, something has to change. Um, so I'm going to push myself out of the nest and focus. First of all, I should say, I think it's a very smart decision. It's really scary, but it's super smart. That's when um, when we first moved here, I was working as an assistant. And that's really what helped us focus. When I quit my assistant job, yeah. seven months later, we had a job. 
like our first real job. Yeah, it was like, okay, now we really have to do this. And we took it very seriously once Sarah no longer had a source of income. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh very real. So now you are in that position. Now, what I think is really interesting and, you know, I don't know if it's metaphysical or spiritual or what, but... The very next day after you came into our office and said you were leaving, you got your first show meeting. And for anyone who doesn't know, do you want to tell them what a show meeting is? Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, since I've had my first one. Um, so a show meeting is when you meet with the showrunner of a show that's going to series. So they've had a pilot. The networks decide to pick it up to series. And now they need to staff a room. So I was meeting for a job as like an entry-level writer. Yeah. So this is like the real deal. This can lead to an actual job, the first, you know, of many that will happen in your long career. Let us pray. (laughs) So first tell us, was the meeting what you expected? We tried to prepare you as best we could. So you did a really great job prepping me. I was leaving for the interview and Liz said, this is not a drill. Uh, This is real life. And it was good to hear because, you know, I've never had a meeting before, and um, it's a big deal, the meeting. So for me, I was just very thankful to have it, but it was good to remember this could actually happen. So I decided I would go in the bathroom and do it like, you know, they suggest that women do this before they go into interviews, which is like the Superman pose or superwoman pose, I should say, uh, just to empower myself going in. But, so did you um, do that? I did. I love <laughs> that. That's a great idea. Yeah, you just go and you stand. You puff your chest out. Like, I got this. I'm doing it now. Puffing nice. <laughs> So, okay. So you had your meeting. We don't know if you're going to get the job. Right. So what are you going to do if you don't get the job? How are you going to, like, move toward your goal? Well, there are a couple things. So I've actually been trying to, or actually have been setting up a schedule for myself, Mm -hmm. just because I know in working from home, I need to make sure that I have a very regimented day so that I know I'll wake up at 5 and sort of, you know, float into my day. And then from 7 to 11, I know that I'm hardcore in front of my computer or in front of a piece of paper, breaking story or whatever it is. Uh, I spoke with a writer that you worked with on another show, Bill Krebs, and he was a huge help. He's awesome. He's (laughs) awesome. And he'd said, what's your plan? And I said, you know, by the end of the summer, I hope to have a really great sample. That's the goal. I'm giving myself to the end of the summer. And he was like, don't give yourself to the end of the summer. Give yourself one month. He's like, Mm, you need to get an outline done and have a first draft in one month. Bill's Mm. hardcore. He is. And then I went back and looked through all the delivery deadlines that you have had for uh, your drafts for the pilots and sort of have been building a schedule for myself based on that. Oh, that's smart. Uh, yeah. So nice. I'm impressed. I mean, the fact that your day starts at 5 a.m. Yeah, right in there. This scenario. In your <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Brooke also did something incredibly smart. She came in. She said, "I have a couple things I want to tell you. One, I think it's time for me to leave. And two, I would like for you to continue being my mentors and work with me on a script." Yes, that was a good move because yeah. what we have realized is when you ask people for a favor, it actually Instead of actually making them, like, annoyed, oh, I have to do this thing for this person, at least in our case, it makes us more invested. It makes us go, oh, well, she thinks we can. Oh, we're flattered. We have help. We're flattered. (laughs) We're experts. Oh, look at us. And so it makes us want to help you. And it makes us, the more we help you, the more invested we're going to be in your career. And I think that is true across the board. I mean, I think if you work at a bank and you ask your boss for help, 
yeah. the same result will happen. I Absolutely. think that's human nature. I don't think you and I are alone. Well, you two are particularly that. awesome. So, Oh, well, oh, thank hey. you. You know just what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to take someone's mantra. Oh, oh good. Um, Jenna, I think, had a mantra, the antidote to anxiety is action. Yes. Ooh, perfect for that. this situation. Yes. Yep. And they're relentlessly entertaining. But Yeah. yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> Well, Brooke, we don't know how all of this is going to turn out, but of course, we are going to be getting updates from you on your career, which we have no doubt will be skyrocketing. And you can always check in with her on her podcast, Short and Sweet, and see how her adulting is coming along. Brooke, it's been so fun to have you here today and to be working with you for the last two years. Oh, thanks. Yes. I love you guys. We're going to miss you. Yeah. Oh, I'll miss y'all too. Okay, Sarah, up next, we answer our first listener question. We can't wait, but first, a word from our sponsor. I don't know about you, but we're always looking for ways to get our kids involved and give back in our local community. That's why we're excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. I would love for Violet to do this program when she's in high school. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, it's also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. So, Liz, now let's move on to a listener question from Alex in D.C. who writes, Listening to your call with your agent, I had a question for you. When you guys were searching for an agent, was it difficult to find one that you both clicked with? I'm sure you both had things that you were looking for, and I was just wondering how well they aligned. Well, this is a great question. It goes to sort of how do we make decisions Mm -hmm. as a team in general, right? We make many decisions together, obviously, and we have for 17 years. Um, (laughs) Luckily, we find that when making big decisions that we usually come to the same conclusion pretty seamlessly. And that's whether we're making a decision about changing agents or what job to take, what job not to take, who to hire, or even who to fire. Yes. Occasionally that happens. (laughs) Now, I think part of that is because we grew up together and we had the same teachers, the same friends. A lot of our sensibilities are the same and we have the same values. So we usually seem to have the same gut reaction to people and the situations. Yeah, we really do. Um, When we're meeting with almost anyone, agents, producers, writers, executives, actors, when we come out of a meeting, we usually have the same kind of gut feeling. Sometimes that's, oh boy, that person was a total douche. Or sometimes it's, you know, yes, we definitely want to hang out with this person. And sometimes like if I don't have a strong feeling, you will have a strong feeling or the reverse. And we've been doing this long enough to know that if that happens, the other person is usually right. One thing we've realized, because people do ask us about this pretty often, is that one of the biggest thing that works to our advantage in our partnership is that we have the same level of ambition. Yeah. 
That's um, important. Yes. Ultimately, that is what guides most of our decision making. And, you know, what's interesting is going into this partnership, I mean, we had no idea that we had the same level of ambition. I don't think either of us knew what our own level of ambition even was. But again, it has turned out, or maybe we've grown together like a married couple, that we have the same level of ambition. So like, for instance, I think one place where that really played out is in this exact question of looking for an agent. Yeah, Our first agent was great, very smart, Um, lovely person. We adored her. And she was a good agent, but she was at a small agency. And we felt like to take our career to the next level, we needed to go to a big agency. Yes. And that's a little bit controversial. Some people think big agencies are better. Some think small agencies are better. Both are correct, depending on your situation. Um, But for us at that time, it was clear that our agent was going to stay at the smaller agency. And that just didn't work for us. At that time, our level of ambition didn't match with her level of ambition. And we should say that now she's, like, super high-powered and doing something else. It was really a timing issue. Um, So what we did is we met all over at all the big agencies, and we went with Matt Solo, who we talked to in episode one, uh, who's been our agent for 15 years now. Um, And we basically – a big reason we chose him was that he represented a lot of people we knew. Yes. So we had a level of trust there. And also we felt like if he started ignoring us for some reason, we could have someone we know call him and complain on our behalf. We always think like, who's going to help us not just get a job, but with our career as a whole? And another thing we knew about Matt was that he really cared about his clients' careers. Yes. Not just what are you doing next month? What are you doing in five years? Yeah. You know, he's not someone who will just take anyone on. Um, he's really finicky. So we felt like if he took us, it would be because he really believed in us. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think one of our first calls with him, he was like, well, you're not David Mamet. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> he's not a bullshitter. He no. will <laughs> tell it like it is. Yeah. And that's a good quality in an agent. Yeah. I mean, we realized more than handholding or coddling, we wanted someone who would tell us the truth, yeah. who was honest in all ways, and who cared about our career as a whole. Yeah. And we also knew, like with Matt, that he was ambitious for us. Yes. It wasn't just about our ambition. It was that he would be pushing us to write new material, to push us into situations maybe we wouldn't have seen for ourselves. I will say, Sarah, there have been a few times when we've disagreed yeah. No, it's not that we don't ever disagree. It's We tend to disagree on, like, smaller things and agree on larger things, wouldn't yes. you say? Yeah. But, yes, there have been a few bigger things that we didn't entirely agree on. Like, for instance, um, a few years ago, we did a pilot called The Selection based on a young adult book. And we both received it and read it. And I read it and just immediately loved it and was like, we have to do this. And you were not necessarily on board. I was less enthused. But I definitely came around. I mean, I think you, I mean, basically just sort of talked me through all the reasons why you thought it was great. And, you know, that level of enthusiasm is convincing. And you were right. I mean, it did turn out to be something that we were really excited about. And we made that pilot twice. Yes, we made it twice, but it never got to air. So who was right? I mean, I can't say. Is it a success because we made the pilot twice? Or is it a failure because it didn't get to air? Well, I guess a failure because it didn't get to air. (laughs) Answer my own question. But we did get to go to Hungary for 
two months, I yes, guess. Yes, we had great experiences yeah. with it. So that's how we manage decisions in our partnership, basically, by having the same level of ambition and by trusting our collective gut. And if that doesn't work, we'll just get drunk and yell at each other. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Okay, it is time for our weekly Hollywood hack. And this week, our Hollywood hack is have a headshot. Doesn't get much more Hollywood than that. It really doesn't. But it's such, it really is a great hack, if I can just be so bold. (laughs) It's so important to have just a really good professional photograph of yourself. I think people put themselves last, Mm -hmm. and you just really need that. One thing Gretchen and I talk about a lot on Happier is having professional photos taken of the family, Mm -hmm. um, which I think a lot of people do. They have their Christmas photo or their Valentine's Day photo or, you know, their beach shot um, that they have taken at the resort in Hawaii. But to have one just of yourself seems somehow, um, you know, sacrilege. Right. It feels like self-involved or... I don't know, putting yourself first or, yeah, you know. too full of yourself. Yes, exactly. But what we've found is when there's a need for a professional photo, you want to have one. And you never know when it's coming. Yeah. I mean, yes, we have needs for photos being, you know, in Hollywood, but there's all, I mean, especially with social media and there's just more and more communications. And I think companies are doing more and more newsletters and bulletins and all of that kind of stuff. And there are always pictures of people in these things. And it's like, if you have a picture of yourself, maybe that'll be your picture. But if you don't have a picture of yourself, it definitely won't be you. It's going to be your workplace nemesis's picture. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, for example, like most people now, no matter what business you're in, you're on LinkedIn. Right. And so many people just have bad, like, selfie shots of themselves. Or just that blank Square that you just, like, have no idea who it is at all. Yes. And instead, you should have a nice, professionally taken photo of yourself where you look great. Yeah. um, Because why not? Right. Exactly. And then if someone wants to link with you, they'll know exactly who they're linking with. Yeah. I mean, the key is take yourself seriously so other people take you seriously. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, you realize we haven't had professional photos taken of us since 2007. Oh, my God. Has it been that long? It has. So I think before Brooke leaves us, we need her uh, to make us do a professional photo shoot. Yes. There's a professional photo shoot in our future. Yeah. Ugh. (laughs) Okay, Liz, before we wrap up, I know you have a celebrity sighting this week. I do. Okay. First, I have to say, you know, Sarah, that I am a rabid fan of The Real Housewives. Yes. Of of all sorts. But... (laughs) Especially the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, yes. given our proximity of to course. Beverly Hills. So the other night, Adam and I and Jack went to a restaurant we always go to. Um, it's called Il Segreto. It's at the top of Beverly Glen um, at Mulholland. It's a very shishi shopping center. Yes. And it's a place where a lot of locals go, people who live um, up there, especially in Bel Air. So, who did I see come in but Lisa Vanderpump, sort of one of the premier Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and her husband, Ken. And not only that, they were carrying their two dogs who they're always carrying around on the show. Jiggy Uh, or something? Jiggy, and I forget what the other one's name is. And they were both um, dressed. The dogs were both in costumes, (laughs) as they always are on the show. So that's real. Uh Um, And so I was sitting like, 
totally facing them. So I just got to stare at Lisa Vanderpump for my whole dinner, nice. um, which was wonderful. So Lisa Vanderpump, I'm not a Beverly Hills, you know, Real Housewives of Anywhere fan, but I did, I, ha- I must have seen one of those, um, like, what are they called? After the show things, you know, the wrap-ups that they do. Oh, reunions? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I don't. Um, so I, I saw some reunion, and then like a few days later, I was driving down Santa Monica Boulevard in um, West Hollywood, and this person crossed the road. And, you know, everyone talks about how celebrities have charisma and an aura and a, you know, all of that stuff. And this woman crossed the road with like a glow. Like my eyes mm. immediately went to her. Um, and it was Lisa Vanderpump. So wow. that thing, I mean, it's really true. And I, we should know that, I guess, because we live here. But in her case, it really kind of, you know, knocked me out. And interesting that a reality star could achieve that. Exactly. Not just like a, you know, movie star. Yeah, it wasn't Tom Cruise. It was, right. you know. <laughs> Lisa Vanderpump. Yeah. And then also, weirdly, just a couple weeks ago, I was having dinner with the woman who is working on Lisa Vanderpump's designer dog food line. Oh, you're kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So did you ask Grill her about Lisa? I tried. For you, I did, yes. And she said that Lisa Vanderpump was super smart and super nice, and she really, really likes her. Well, good. I am very glad to hear that. I (laughs) know. All right, Sarah, before we roll into credits, I have to extract a promise from you. Oh, okay. You have to listen to my interview that I did uh, for the I Hate My Boss podcast. Ooh, how did it go? It was good. Um, You know, I Hate My Boss is about how to handle bosses and how to be at work and all that good stuff. One of our favorite subjects. Um, And it was a lot of fun. The hosts are Larry Seal and Liz Dolan, who's a satellite sister. You know, I love the satellite sisters. Love. You love them. And the interview ends with me giving five tips for how to be happier at work, which I think will sound familiar to you. So you might enjoy that. Oh, cool. I can't wait. I'll listen today. All right, Liz, that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Listeners, what banana do you need to let go of? Let us know. Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. You can also leave us a listener question at 949-HAPPY-21. Thank you to our producer, Jennifer Lai. And also thank you to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thanks to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. And get in touch. I'm on Twitter at Sarah M. Fain and Liz is at Elizabeth Craft. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend or two or ten and subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Kraft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. I can't believe Brooke is actually leaving. I know. It's so sad. There will never be another Brooke. No.